0: 23, we're going to be in Psalm 23 this morning, one that most people don't know much about. Wait, wait, no, wait. (laughs) And uh, just to clear up uh, any coordination, I didn't have any thought to the fact that it is the 23rd today, and we're speaking on the 23rd Psalm. Uh, Somebody asked me that last week, like, oh, that's really curious. Did you plan that? I'm like, no, there's no, I had no idea. What actually happened, and there'll be a cool little picture up here, uh, what actually happened is I was on vacation um, in Spearfish, South Dakota, uh, sitting in a beautiful house, uh, looking at the green grass, and Jake had texted me and said, hey, Chris, which psalm are you going to speak on on this Sunday? And uh, I had no idea at that point, and I I'll have Cynthia throw that picture up there, but I, I, was, I was sitting, whenever I was thinking about that, that psalm, I was actually looking at this view, wherever, it, you got it up there? Oh, there. So I was sitting on the porch of some very good friends of ours. This is in Spearfish, South Dakota. The, the mountains are over to the left of me. You can't see the full mountain there, and there's a stream, there's a, there's a creek going, there's a stream running down beside the deck there, just down in the valley, in the canyon, and uh, there's livestock, you can't see him in the picture there, but there's livestock, there's green grass, and uh, I spent a few days there in that chair, just sitting in that spot, with my Bible and my pen, and just having some insane quiet times with God. And, um, and so Jacob sent me this text, and I'm looking at this green plush grass, and so I thought, why not Psalm 23? Uh, the, the, the great, uh, the green grass, he makes us to lie down in green grass, so that's, that's how that came about. There's no coordination of the 23rd. Um, but this is truly, Psalm 23 is truly the, one of the most loved psalms, one of the most loved passages of the Bible, probably ranking only second to maybe John 3.16, and that's only because John 3.16 fits on a poster board and can be showed at football games, right? And so, but it's uh, this passage is actually a passage, uh, this, these, these six verses are known to people and known by people who have no interest in God whatsoever, no connection to faith at all, uh, people will know this verse. And I'm not, that's not just an anecdotal statement. I get to experience that nearly every week of my life around here in our community. And people who would say to me, I don't want anything to do with God, and yet in a moment of crisis and trauma, they will, uh, they will ask me to pray for them, and I will pray. And this is probably the passage of Scripture that I utilize in my life and my work uh, more than any other text of the Bible Uh, I get to share this passage, and I always start with this text, and I say it to people as a prayer, and then I I pray through what this psalm says. And so for me, uh, this is a very significant passage of Scripture, and I was thinking, uh, I was a pastor for 28-some years, and I never have preached a message on this psalm. I've utilized it all the time, and everything I've ever done but I've never actually, I looked it up, I don't have any sermons on Psalm 23, so we're going to correct my file today, balance things back out, and we're going to talk about Psalm 23. Um, Psalm 23 is a Psalm of David. If you look in your Bibles there, it says at the top, uh, the Psalm, a Psalm of David. Uh, and David is now the king of Israel, and he's reflecting on his relationship with God. And as he's reflecting on this relationship with God, he's kind of looking back to when he was a child and he was a shepherd boy. He was the one sent out to take care of the sheep. And so David, in reflecting on his relationship with God, he likens that relationship to that of a shepherd and a sheep. And this is not a strange theme. Uh, this is a theme that goes all the way through the Old Testament. The, you, could, you could just count numerous times where God is seen as the shepherd of his flock, Israel, or his, the people of God. And it goes all the way through. This psalm points us ultimately to Jesus, whom he himself says of himself in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And Peter says of him that Jesus himself is the chief shepherd of his flock, his sheep, the church. And so this, this is the picture. So David is having this moment of reflection and he writes uh, about his relationship with God, and God is seen as a shepherd here. Now, this is a strange thing, actually, because a, a shepherding was a very lowly position in that culture. There was, in fact, there was nothing. Uh, pe- people did not want to be known as a shepherd. It was not the cool job, right? Uh, it wasn't the corner office, right? They, in fact, that's why they always sent the youngest son to go out and shepherd the sheep. Well, guess who was the youngest son? David. You remember in Samuel when, when Samuel's trying to pick a king of Israel because Saul messed it all up, right? And so they have to pick a new king. And he's got Jesse's sons all lined up and they were all handsome and strong and big. And, and they go through one by one and God says, Nope, not that one, not that one, not that one, nope, none of these. Uh, Jesse, do you have another son? You remember what happened? They said, uh, Yeah, I got one more. But he's out with the sheep in the field because, see, a shepherd lived out with the sheep and took care of the sheep and cared for the sheep. They were amongst the sheep. And so David, they had to wait for David to be brought in from the field where he was living with the sheep and taking care of the sheep. In fact, he was called a little shepherd boy. I think they even used the word ruddy, uh, a ruddy little shepherd boy who brought in. And God said, ah, that's the one. And so now David, who's been anointed king, he is the king, and he's reflecting back on this beautiful picture And he's relating his relationship with God to that of a shepherd with his sheep. Uh, This is a deeply, deeply personal psalm. Um, I was having this conversation with someone uh, on my vacation, actually, ironically, and uh, they were talking about they hate when we sing songs in church that have I, me, and my in them. But I challenge that. Because if you've read the psalms, it's filled with I, me, and my. Because the God of the universe, this amazing, beautiful God who created everything, he wrote us, you and me, into this story of redemption. He created us. He gave us life. Like, we are a part of this beautiful, redemptive story that God has given us. We are not a side thing here. Like, it is ultimately about God, but God, this God that we are worshiping, put us into the story. He is a part of our lives. He is intimately connected to us like a shepherd is to his sheep. And so in this psalm, it is going to be a lot of I and me and my uh, as David reflects on his relationship. So as it is deeply personal to David, let it be that for you today as we walk through this very well-known, and very loved psalm. Let it be something that points you deeply to uh, God as your shepherd. Um, Before we read this psalm, or many of us could just quote it probably, Um, I think it's important for us uh, to just reflect for just one more moment. Uh, I love what Spurgeon, for instance, said about the psalm. He said, This psalm has calmed more griefs than all the philosophies of the world. It has comforted more more people struggling with the darkest thoughts, the deepest doubts, and the most painful sorrows than anything else. It has comforted the poor. It has given courage to the fearful. It has been a healing balm and a consolation for the sick and the captive and the imprisoned and the widows and the orphans and the lonely. And I love this part that Spurgeon says. He says, dying soldiers have died easier as this psalm was being read to them on the battlefield. I was actually reading in World War II that many of the priests or the chaplains who would come and care for those who were dying, they would often read Psalm 23 as they were dying, as they slipped away into the very end of this psalm, or dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, powerful psalm, but let's bring it down even a little more before we read it. Let's make it personal. Let's make it to today, your life, my life. I think it's important when we think about these types of passages that are deeply personal, that have deep truths in them that are for our soul like a balm or a salve, a healing ointment to us. We should we should make it personal and get it down to reality, a sort of real to life examples. And so I'm always, when I'm thinking about these psalms throughout the week, I was thinking of this passage that I was going to speak on. I'm thinking like, God, give me real to life today, tomorrow, yesterday. Give me stuff that, that I can wrestle with in my own soul that I need Psalm 23 to speak to my own heart. And so as I share a couple things that are personal to me, you think of a couple things today that this psalm, the significance of these words become way more significant when we situate them into the reality of our lives right here today. And so yesterday, um, we had, uh, and many of you will not know this story, so I'm just going to say a little thing about it, but yesterday we had the third annual um, celebration uh, gathering in Rainier Vista Park uh, because three years ago uh, there was a boy named Max, and many of you know Max because you were intimately involved in that whole um, moment, and Max uh, was one of my son's friends. My oldest son, Jaden, he uh, he was a captain of the football team with my son, and the day after my son's graduation party, uh, a bunch of the friends went out to the lake, and Max uh, ended up drowning uh, in, the, in the lake that day, that, that next day, and he had a heart uh, issue, a cardiac event, and he drowned. And... And so yesterday was the, marked three years, it's hard to even believe that it's been that long, but we all met in the park, and, and amazingly, there were like 30 to 40 students who came back for that, and we all met in the park, we just have a moment to just remember that time, to remember the significance of it, and, and, uh, and I know some of you prayed that God would use that moment, and we have no idea what the fruit of those times would be, some of you brought, uh, we had lots of kids staying at our house during that time, some of you brought food and meals and prayed and brought ice and drinks and all kinds of stuff to take care of these kids during that time. And we pray that that will have an impact on them. And it was really neat to hear a few of these kids come over and have a conversation with me and to hear that some of them have gotten involved in a church in college and are, are connecting, in some cases reconnecting, with God. And, uh, but but that's, a real, that's a real hardship and a real challenge. And so we came together for that and listened to all the other ways that God has been at work in their lives, some in really tough ways um, this past week, a very close friend of mine, as I was preparing this, a very close family friend of mine, in fact, uh, that picture is uh, a member of that family, and um, a very close friend of mine called, and he confessed to me, I've known him for years, and uh, he confessed to me that he's uh, been struggling with addiction for the past decade of his life. His family's falling apart. His, uh, his life is unraveling, and so we spent close to three hours just talking on the phone, Um, then, when we were in South Dakota, this became even more real, Um, I think grief follows me around sometimes, but, uh, because I do this for my job, but we were in South Dakota, and while we were there, a very close friend of ours, very close friend um, of our family, uh, his sister uh, was 32 years old, she died of cancer, and had two little kids at home, and so we spent time uh, with, with Josh, and just talking with them, and um, caring for them, and then and then a beautiful. That same week, we were there for four days. This all happened in four days. Um, this beautiful girl, uh, man, I've, I've I've waited this whole week to tell you the story about Christina. Uh, Christina passed away as well, and she was in her 30s. Uh, very very amazing young girl. Uh, Christina was a developmentally delayed girl, who had the joy that was so infectious. So amazing! She had a love for Jesus like no one. It was incredible, and she hugged everyone without discrimination. Like it didn't matter if she was here today. You, none of you, if you passed her, crossed her path, no one would get away without a hug. And Christina, every single week that I would preach a sermon in my church in South Dakota that I pastored, Christina at the end of my, as soon as I said Amen, she was trained. Like, her mom would train her. You can't go up there. She would literally be just waiting. Like, she would be, like, in the, in the throes, man. Like, I'm ready to go. And as soon as I said amen, she would launch up, and she would run down, and you needed to brace yourself. And she would grab a hold of you, and she would hug you. And it wasn't just a little, like, hey, how you doing? It was just, like, she'd go, Patrick Chris, Patrick Chris. And she would run down the center aisle, and she would just hang on to you for a moment. It was beautiful. She did it every single week that she was in church. And she did it to every person. And to tell you, I mean every person, not just in church. I was at Cherry Berry, a little ice cream place in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I walk into Sioux Falls, uh, to this Cherry Berry, and I look at the back of cherryberry and she was going around to every single table. She had hugged every person in that place. And every one of them had a joy, like a smile on their face. She got away with it. Like she just hugged. Everyone. She loved people, and, she, and then she saw me at a distance, and I'll never forget, the whole place full of people, and she just, Patrick, Chris, Patrick, Chris. She runs down, and she grabs a hold of me. Like, this is, this is the kind of person that she was, and now what she has trusted by faith, she, she's now getting the hug of her life. And so those are real things, right? Those are real-to-life examples where we, we who are traveling through this this side of heaven, this side of the grave. Uh, we need words that give us hope and encouragement and comfort. I just want you to think in your life. I know that there is many a person sitting here this morning who's going through some kind of trial or grief or sorrow or difficulty or addiction or struggle or depression, as, as uh, Pastor Jake talked about last week. All of us can relate to something. We've, we've all faced things in our lives. If not right now, we have, and if not if we haven't, we will there are things in our lives that are very real uh, to us. And so Psalm 23, I believe, is going to speak beautifully and powerfully to the, the weak and wounded and difficult situations and circumstances and even the joys of life. Uh, it speaks to all of it. So with that, that's a long introduction, right? With that and with those things in mind, and particularly, just to think of this, This psalm points to Jesus, who's the good shepherd. So as we read this, just think of what this is pointing us towards, all right? This beautiful picture of the great chief shepherd, Jesus. So let's stand together as we read through Psalm 23. You could probably even just quote it with me, but we'll uh, we'll go through Psalm 23. The Psalm of David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will rest, or I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, use these beautiful words, these well-known words, beautiful words. Use them today to be a healing salve, to be a healing ointment upon our souls. May we experience your goodness today. May we be given confidence for the, for the person struggling with ailments, and physical issues, and relationship challenges, and financial struggles, and the person who's just here today, and just happy as can be, and joyful, may you use these words to just encourage and strengthen each of us wherever we might be. And so Lord, uh, may we be able to say personally and deeply, as David at the end of this, that the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. We pray this in your name. Amen. One last thing, before we dive into this passage, uh, we have to clear up one thing real quick. There's, a, there's a really a misunderstanding, I think, that's been handed down for centuries, and we're going to clear it up right here today in church history, in all of history. Um, there's a belief that we often say, and I've said it myself, that sheep are really stupid. Right? Some of you have maybe raised sheep in your life. And there's always a belief, we say, well, Jesus calls us sheep, right? Or, or in the Old Testament, God is the shepherd and we're the sheep. And sheep are really dumb. They do, they're not smart. Uh, they wander off. You know, we have the verse of Isaiah 53. It tells us that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And, and so we've, we've kind of got this misconception that sheep are really stupid animals. Uh, but uh, that's actually not true. Uh, uh, so they've done scientific research on this. I read up on this this week. It was fascinating stuff. and Yeah, you're all fascinated, right? Um, but, but actually, it, it, is, it is actually incredible. Sheep are actually incredibly smart. Sheep instinctively know, like it's in them, they know that they have to band together. Sheep are incredibly relational and communal. And in fact, within the flock of sheep, uh, the reason why they know they have to stay together, by the way, is because they know that they are vulnerable otherwise. They, they don't have any defenses, and so they're better together. So, but with, even within the larger flock of sheep, sheep form relationships within that flock where they have closer connections, like almost like little family units. And it's all based on smell, because sheep have an incredible sense of smell. And so they know which sheep within the sheep is kind of their people, right? They got their people, and then they got their people, right? And it's by smell that they know who their shepherd is. They're incredibly sharp. They, they threw out pictures with the smells of shepherds uh, out in the thing, and sheep would go to the one that was theirs, pick it out every time. They're not dumb animals. In fact, they're not dumb animals. They're dependent animals. And so when we, if we think that the picture in the Bible is that of, of us being sheep means that we're just kind of really not too smart, not too bright, and we do a lot of stupid stuff. That's actually not what the Bible's saying. Sheep are not stupid; they're just dependent, just like you and me. They are dependent upon a shepherd. Uh, we we know that that sheep, in fact, when we when we sometimes say that the shepherd sometimes has to bring them back because they wander off, we think that's because of sheer rebellion, but actually. Research shows the reason why they get lost is because they're in the green grass eating and sometimes they're just focused on eating and they kind of get lost over here by themselves because they're just... Fo- or they follow the little water sh- hole over here and everybody's over there and pretty soon they look up and be like, you ever had that happen? Like, oh no, where, where am I at? You ever went hiking, right? And you saw I'm just going over the ridge over there and next thing you know, you've been just focused on that and pretty soon you're like, I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> right? So sheep don't always like just just run off out of sheer craziness and rebellion. Oftentimes they get out of line because they're just following some food and they need, they need a shepherd to guide them and to keep them safe. And so they're dependent animals, not stupid animals. Um, and that's actually true of us too. Uh, we are a dependent people. We need a shepherd. Jesus himself even said when he looked over the crowds, if you remember, he said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep Without a shepherd, which is dangerous for them. And so he knew that. Now, I just want to say, we did our own scientific research. I got a cool picture up here. We did our own little scientific research uh, about this when I was in uh, Kansas. So we'll throw up my, my picture here. So this is the cutest little girl you will ever see uh, here. This is, this is Maylee. Maylee had a little lamb, uh, literally. Uh, this is my niece. Uh, she's a she's a beautiful little girl. In fact, last Monday she had a, a seizure. She hadn't had any seizures for three years. She has a condition. She hadn't had a seizure for three years, but last Monday she was in the hospital. This picture on the right was after she got out of the hospital. So when we went to we stayed on the farm right here, and we went to their my my brother-in-law's house. We stayed on the farm, and and uh, when we pulled up, we were greeted at our car door by this little lamb, and there was a little calf too, but the calf wasn't near as cool. And this little lamb, this little lamb is like a, it's like a pet. It's like a dog that just runs around the yard, you know. And, uh, but as soon as Maylee comes out of the house, that lamb left us, immediately is with her. Every single time she is anywhere near, that lamb runs to Maylee. You know why? Because Maylee's the one who takes care of her. Maylee feeds her, uh, gives her a bottle every day. Maylee won the grand champion at the rodeo this week with this little lamb. So she has a cool little picture of her in her cowboy boots. And, and, uh, and, but, but this little lamb knows who it is that takes care of her, right? She, it's not a dumb animal. Like, it knows, doesn't go to any of the other siblings, could care less, but it knows when Mailey comes out of the house, she's the one that takes care of me. I belong to her. And this literally, this lamb just follows her around every single place she goes. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, so that was our own little scientific study, that sheep know their shepherd, they know, uh, they know what they're doing. So, anyway, I move on. We've got to get through this text. All right. <laughs> so, Jesus, or, or so, so David is reflecting on this, and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. Um, Thinking about the fact that God is a shepherd who lives among, just think about the beautiful picture that he lives among, he is with the sheep, he knows the sheep, he cares for the sheep, he nurtures the sheep, he protects them, preserves them, all the things we're going to learn today, that, that the God of the universe stoops down, think about this, the most menial task on the earth at that time. God is pictured here as being the one who stoops down and, go, and is with his people, caring for them right this is the picture picture's the incarnation of Christ this is what Jesus ultimately did and so god stoops down so it says that that god is he's the good shepherd and he's a shepherd who provides and i love this phrase he says i shall not want i think i spent most of my week on that one phrase because part of me wants to scream out and go seriously i shall not want there will be no wants in our life if if we understand that the lord is my shepherd then all is well i don't have any more wants or needs it's all good right now you know sitting here that that's not how you feel at times you know the reality of that is it doesn't it feels at times like there's a lot of things that are undone we are left wanting in a lot of moments in our lives and we struggle with this idea so what is what does it mean when you just a blanket statement that because the lord is my shepherd it's all good. I shall not want. I don't have any more problems, right? Everything is good. Um, I wrestled with it all week and had no answer, honestly, as I thought about this at just its deepest level, except for the rest of this psalm is going to answer it. But, but, I thought about it in two ways. So think about this. It's both a declaration as well as a decision. This is what one commentary said that I think finally made some sense. The, the, the declaration, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a declaration. In other words, I'm declaring that God is sufficient and that he supplies everything that I need. Amen. So he's, he's completely sufficient. I'm declaring that, even though I struggle with the reality of it, right? Because sometimes God's wants and what I want Don't seem to line up at times, right? I have a lot of wants. In fact, I want a lot of good things. Do you not want a lot of good things? I want a lot of really good things. Things that are heartbreaking and and difficult things. When you see people's lives unravel, you want their lives to be different. You want them to know Jesus. You want them to have their wounds healed, their hearts healed, right? Their souls healed. You want these things, right? I want a lot of good things that God doesn't seem to do in my timing, in my way. And so so it is one thing to declare that that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want to declare that he's the one who can provide and does provide all of my needs. But it also, in one sense, is a decision. I have to decide. And this is what I believe David in my little tagline of this message. David is, is, in a sense, teaching and telling himself and preaching to his own soul to learn to trust God. This is the process of our whole life. We're learning to trust that God really is the one who supplies all of our needs. That we really don't lack any good thing. And so the decision is this. I decide by faith not to desire more than what the Lord, my shepherd, gives me. I have a phrase in my office, and I'm going to botch it, but I should have took a picture of it. But it says, it says stop Stop trying, stop worrying, and uh, I can't remember, I'm going to forget it, but stop thinking about the the life that you wish you had, and start living the life that you have in front of you. And oftentimes, I I, I think about in this, that, that we have to decide at times to not want more than what God has given to us, and he knows just when we need what we need when we need it. And I don't know about you, but I'm never settled in that. So if you're not settled in that, that's okay. Like, I'm never like, oh, okay, that's good. You know, it's all good. We just go on. It's another day, right? Uh, No, no, I wrestle with that because I want good things sometimes, really good things. And just like you, and it seems like, God, why would you not do that? Why would you not do this? And and, and we struggle. But there's a decision to go, God does supply all of my needs, and so, God, I'm not going to desire more than what you've already given me. I'm going to trust you with what you've given me. And so what does he give us? We see here that the Good Shepherd provides for us. It says he makes us lie down in green pastures. He makes us lie down in green pastures. When we hear the word makes, I think especially in our culture, we think like this heavy-handed person going, you will lie down in that green pasture, young man. It's like, it's like what you say to your, your kids this afternoon when they don't go down for the nap, and you're dead tired, and you want a nap, and they're not going down. You say, young man, you will go to sleep right now, right? So... <laughs> That, that's, I don't think that's at all what this psalm is intending. Uh, when, when it talks about the fact that God makes us to lie down in green pastures, in other words, he, he leads us, he takes us to this beautiful place where there's this plush, just imagine the, the picture that I had up there a little bit ago, this plush valley filled with beautiful grass. And it's not just for food and nourishment, but he makes them to lie down in this beautiful, plush place, to have rest, to be comforted. And then it says, he leads me beside still waters, which is an interesting thing with sheep. Uh, sheep don't swim very well. <laughs> if, you've ever, uh, if you've ever seen a sheep before it's sheared and it's just full of wool, uh, when that wool gets wet, they gain about twice their weight. <laughs> and uh, they become an anchor uh, in water, right? And So, so oftentimes, shepherds would, would protect them from the raging you know uh, number five rapids, uh, You know, in like the Colorado River where I was at, like he would, the shepherd would protect the sheep from that and take them to a place where the water is calm and still, so that they could drink from the water and not be in danger of falling in and dying. And so it says that he leads them beside these still waters. In other words, the shepherd, the good shepherd, he's providing all their physical needs, both rest and nourishment and water, and he's doing it in a way that is beautiful and, and amazing and plentiful. It says green pastures, lush pastures. He's taking care of them. But he also, we also see here he provides spiritually for them. It says he also restores their soul. He restores he restores my soul, David says. The idea of restoring here, I think, I think anyway, is the idea of rescue. In fact, I think, in my mind as I wrestled with this and read other things, that, that that's, in a sense, the idea of rescue, that when, when the sh- one sheep kind of wandered off and the shepherd has to go after the one sheep and pull him back into the flock, he's, he's restoring them, he's bringing them back in, he's rescuing them. It's also probably maybe a picture of repentance, that he restores our soul, that he, he restores us back to where we need to be. And then it says that he leads us, he leads me, David says, in paths of righteousness. And he does this for his name's sake. In other words, the way that the shepherd, the good shepherd leads us is in such a way as to make much of his goodness like to to display the goodness of god and so he leads us in these paths of righteousness every single path that we are on is as a believer is a path that god is leading us down and it's a path of righteousness and he does it again so it is for his name's sake so that People will know, everyone would know the goodness of our God. And so as I'm studying this, I'm thinking to myself, man, this sounds beautiful. we got green pastures. We have still waters. We have paths of righteousness. Like, does it get any better than life with the shepherd? Does it get, is there, is life get any better than what that describes? These paths of righteousness seems like a path of no resistance and no troubles and no sorrows and no difficulties, right? That seems like the best path. It seems like a life where all the bad things go away and now I'm just just me and God and we're having a great time. That would be true, except for uh, the next section. (laughs) Verse four. After saying, he leads me in paths of righteousness, you say, what are those paths of righteousness? Well, right after that, he says, even though... This is probably the most known part of this psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The path of righteousness is a path where, there are, where we are walking through a valley. So think about this. The lush grass that we just talked about, the valley where the sheep are resting, the, the beautiful streams of water where the sheep are being given nourishment and refreshment, this beautiful valley is also a valley of the shadow of death at the same time. It's this path of righteousness is not just a hunky-dory, easy, everything's going to go well moment, right? There is the, and I love how he says it. He says it's the shadow of death. And death here, I don't think, is just a reference to the actual physical dying. It's the idea that there are dangers and trials and difficulties that loom. It's the shadow, right? When you see a shadow, you know that the reality is not far, right? When you see the shadow of a tree, you know the tree is somewhere, right? Uh, right? You you, you know this. So the the shadows just think, he's, he's picturing a life through this valley that's lush and amazing, but as you go through this valley, there looms these shadows of constant mayhem, including death. You feel this in your life. There are dangers all around us. Literal, physical, spiritual, ideological. There are, there are tons of dangers all around us every day. There are problems. That, so we, we live in the valley of the shadow of death all the time. Those shadows are constantly looming around us and reminding us that, that things can go south in a hurry. But he says here that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil. And why? Because he's going to be with us. David says, because you are with me, God. It's the presence of God in the valley that makes all the difference. How is it possible that the sheep could lay down and rest at all? When you think about the fact that that there's these shadows of death looming, and yet the sheep are made to lie down in green pastures and find rest. How is that possible, except that the sheep know the shepherd, and the shepherd is always with them, and he's watching out for them, so that while they rest, he's fighting off the bad guys, (laughs) right? We're going to see that in just a minute, right? He's taking care. He's always watching out. He's always looking out for us, and so... And so he, "We can fear no evil because he is with us." David says, "Because you're with me." And, and so think about this. One person said it this way: that the shepherd's presence did not eliminate the presence of evil, but eliminated the fear of evil. It doesn't take away the difficulties of this world just because God is with us, but it takes away our fear of those difficulties. And this is where our hearts are daily, constantly learning to trust in the protection and the provision and the nurturing and the restoring of our shepherd, of God, constantly trying to trust him, seeking to trust him, because this world is filled with dangers, but he is with us. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's an interesting one. Um. Some would say that this is two different instruments, but I think they're wrong. Um, I don't know. It seems like one instrument, that it's actually one thing. It's not a rod and a staff. But if you think about the staff, the staff, we, we, we all know the picture of the shepherd's uh, staff, you know, the nice little arc, arcing thing, right? Uh, pretty tall when you typically see pictures of it, which is fairly accurate. And, but the, the straight part of it is the rod. And the crook part is the staff. And they have different functions, so the rod um, is, is meant to, when the sheep are getting out of line, the rod is intended to help guide them, right? I, I grew up uh, working cattle, and we had what was called a cattle prod. And we didn't use it very gently. Uh, I, I get the sense here there's a gentleness to this, but uh, we didn't use it very gently. But the, we had a cattle prod, right? And the, the cattle prod is this long stick fiberglass stick that you would use to sort of direct the cows. you know, When they want to go this way, you'd, you'd whack them on this side, and they'd go the other way, right? So uh, that, that's the cattle problem. But this, this shepherd's shepherd staff uh, and the rod is intended to sort of guide them, right, to guide them along uh, so that they would, they would be put back in line. It's almost a, it's a corrective thing. But also, I love how David says it. He says, your rod and your staff, it comforts me. It gives me comfort. Why? Because he knows, the, shepherd, the sheep know that if they somehow do wander off in this beautiful grass while they're eating, that the shepherd's going to come along and say, hey, hey, you need to be back over here. You're, you're going to be out here by yourself and you're going to be vulnerable to the wolves and the lions and the bear. And so the, the staff, even though sometimes it's a corrective thing, it actually keeps them in the flock and keeps them safe. And the crook of the staff, the, the staff part, I should say, the rod does that, the staff part, the crook of it is actually intended, it's a rescuing tool. It was a way for them sometimes that they fell into the water or they fell down in a little crook or something, they would actually be able to rescue them out. It was a means of actually pulling them up. So when we see the, the late night shows, you know, where they would pull the person off. It was a little, little accurate, right? That's kind of a pull. It was, it was used to actually rescue people. And so David is picturing this, right? He's been a shepherd. He knows this. He's pictured your rod and your staff is actually a comfort to the sheep. It keeps us guided in the right direction and it rescues us when things go south. And therefore, uh, I will fear no evil because he's with me. I love this last one. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I think, I think about this. like I, I, I'm imagining like a war. There's battles. There's enemies all around me. They're surrounding us. It's dangerous. They're, they're closing in and here's a beautiful banquet just made out in the middle of the field, right? This is what I imagine when I picture this. I don't, have, I don't know if it's anywhere close to accurate, but it just seems like this beautiful banquet where we're just feasting and we're laughing as we exchange life together. We're eating food together, and yet danger is all around. Like it's... I, I think this is a beautiful lesson for us to realize that, that when, even when we talk about the, the path of righteousness that he leads us down, it is not only filled with the shadows of death, it is filled with enemies, dangerous things and people, and these enemies are there, but God, God, in the midst of the difficulties, notice this, he doesn't say go down in the valley, build a castle, put a moat around it, and then inside the walls, those safe and secure walls, inside that... Then you can feast and relax and enjoy a meal together. No. He's like, go right up to the gates of hell. Right? Set up your picnic and your spread, because I'm going to provide for you right there. Right in the middle of chaos. Enemies all around. That's where I'm going to show my goodness. Right? It's in the midst of that stuff. It's not that we remove ourselves from it. God says, no, I'm going to take care of you While the enemies are looming. While the danger, the shadows of death are all around. I love what one pastor said. He said, The goodness and care suggest that by the prepared table that is set right in the midst of the presence of the enemies. He says, He says, God's goodness is seen by that set table in the presence of the enemies. And I love this. He says, God, God is seen here as the host. And the host's care and concern doesn't eliminate the presence of the evil, the enemies. But it enables us to experience God's goodness and bounty even in the midst of them. Which in and of itself is a testimony, right? It testifies in the very presence of our enemies of the goodness of God. It speaks loudly as we sit there and enjoy his bounty. It testifies to our neighbors and to our friends and to our enemies that our God takes care of us no matter what even when dangers are lurking. So this is why the psalmist would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In whatever life circumstance, he's, he's got us covered in everything, in the shadows of death, in the enemies, in the good days, in the beautiful plush valley, no matter what, God is with us. May doesn't stop there. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and he says, you anoint my head with oil. That's a beautiful picture, actually. Um, in the ancient world, the host, when the guest would come into the host's house, the host uh, would be remiss if he didn't wash the guest's feet and then put an anointing of oil on their head, which wasn't like the king's anointing, right, when it like, literally poured it over their head, but they would put a little anointing on their head. And what that did was it a way for the host to show how much he honored and valued the guest, Think about that picture. The God of the universe is inviting us in. We're, we're the guests. He's the host. He's, he's caring for us and our needs. He's washing our feet. And this is a picture we see in the New Testament, Jesus in John 13. He's washing our feet, and he's anointing our He is actually honoring us and, and picturing us as his honored guests in his presence in the midst of enemies, with the shadows of death looming. This is how our God treats us. This is how he loves us and takes care of us. And, and then it says, my cup overflows. David is pictures of my cup overflows. He's not, he's not talking necessarily about his own little cup. He's talking, I believe, about the shepherd's cup. The shepherd didn't carry a cup just for himself. He had a big cup. And it was a cup that he would carry with water in it, and it was used to water the sheep. When there was no water around, he would have a little bit to get them through so that they could make it to the watering hole. And so it's a big cup, and he says, my cup, the shepherd's cup, overflows. It's just constantly supplied with water. He constantly has enough nourishment for everyone, no matter what. So just think of this, in the presence of our enemies, shadows of death and difficulties looming... He prepares a feast for us. He takes care of us. He, he puts his goodness in his people's lives on display in the danger, in the difficulties. He washes our feet. He anoints our head with oil, picturing us as his honored guests, and, and he constantly supplies our needs. His cup constantly overflows. It never runs out. And then he finishes with this just beautiful, beautiful thing. He says and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's a reference to God pursuing you. (laughs) We often think about the person who's seeking God, but the Bible actually pictures that God first seeks you. He comes after you. And not just so that you will be in the flock, a Christian, but he pursues you your whole life. His goodness will follow me, David says, all the days of my life. I didn't even think about this, but that last song we sang about the goodness of God, and we're singing, I didn't even think about it at all until I was, we, I picked the song out, and then uh, I'm, I'm literally this morning uh, just going over my message standing here, and, uh, and I was like, oh, your goodness is running after. Like, how did I miss that? Like, it's running after me, Right? He's just pursuing us relentlessly, desirously pursuing us all the days of our life, desiring to lavish goodness upon us in the presence of our enemies with dangers looming. He just desires, he's just constantly coming after us forever. And then he has this incredible hope, and I, he says, shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. He ends this one line with this sense of eternal hope. There's going to be a day God's goodness on this earth is pursuing us all our life, and then one day it all culminates in the fact that we will just be in the presence of God forever. And that one little line right there pictures a day where there will be no more enemies, right? That day when we will dwell in his house for eternity, forever and ever, enjoying all of the vast goodness of God, more and more of it, more and more over, for all of eternity, that day we will not be having the shadows of death looming over our lives. We will have no more enemies left. It will be only absolute bliss. Right? No troubles No sorrows, no tears, no marriage problems, no kid problems, no financial problems, no cars breaking down, no tires on the freeway, no issues. Just absolute joy and blessing and goodness in the presence of God. So, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that today? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the beautiful picture of this, after a whole sermon, I should open my Bible, right? That sounds bad. <laughs> that psalm is so much a part of my life. It just is in there. The beautiful picture, I think, that this culminates in, I think is what we should end with. And it's the picture of John chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. It's just a beautiful picture that I think this psalm like, sort of foreshadows. And David probably had no idea how totally the fullness of this would be, but Jesus himself comes along, and he calls himself the good shepherd. In fact, if you want to take every verse of Psalms, of this Psalm 23, all six verses, you could actually trace it into the New Testament. Uh, If you take the book of Hebrews and just lay Hebrews down, uh, chapter 2 and 3 and 12, and you just, you can just lay down these themes of the shepherd taking care of his sheep. But, but the ultimate picture is, the shepherd ultimately is Jesus. He is called by Peter the chief shepherd, and he himself calls himself the good shepherd. So let's, let's just read this together and just marvel uh, in how amazing this is. Uh, chapter 10 of John, start, we'll just start in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You think about the shepherd's staff that David's talking about, the rod and the staff. It was also intended to fight off the bears and the lions and all the things that would bring danger. And Jesus here gives his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he's speaking about the leaders of Israel there, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, man, that's a beautiful thing, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the, it is in him and through him. He's gathering the sheep. In fact, if you go back in that, it says he's the door to the gate of the sheep. And he's all of these things. He is gathering the sheep. There are other sheep who aren't in the pen yet. They're not in the fold yet, but they're his. And he says that he, he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. It's the, the melee effect, right? Those who are truly His, they know him. When he speaks, they know his voice, just like you, at some point, heard the voice of Jesus, in whatever way that that happened, in whatever moment you heard the voice of Jesus and you knew it. He knew you and you knew him, and you became a part of his flock. He brought you in also. But the good shepherd is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We, who are in this room today, every one of us, are called upon to be like Jesus, right? We're supposed to go out and be amongst the people. We're supposed to have these kinds of characteristics. It's not just for the shepherds of the church, meaning the elders. Every human being in this room who knows God is to be like Jesus, who gives up his life for the sake of others, who sacrifices, who loves, who seeks the good of other people, even at the expense of oneself. We, we are to take on these characteristics. So let us, let us reflect like, Jesus, like, like David on the relationship that we have with God, which is like a shepherd in relationship to his sheep. And let us, let us be reminded of Jesus, who is our chief shepherd, who cares for us, protects us, watches over us, provides for us, preserves our lives, and one day we will dwell with him forever. And let us with that joy and that comfort, that confidence, go from here and go reflect his goodness to every person around us, to go bear witness to him in every way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful psalm. Thank you for um, its comfort, its encouragement, Thank you that it gives us strength, it gives us hope. Thank you that it speaks to all the difficulties of our lives, that it causes us, gives us cause for worship, for praise, for adoration. And Father, most of all, it points us to the chief shepherd, which is your son Jesus, who came down to this earth and dwelt among us and gave up his life so that we might be a part of this grand flock, that we might be those who would then experience your goodness, but not for our own selves and our own sake alone, but that we would experience your goodness for the sake of others, that they would see your goodness in us, that they would see your grace in us, that they would see you in us and be drawn to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Now we,